So it's episode number 498 of the Youpreneur podcast. Let's get to it. Serving up the strategies you need to build, market, and monetize a profitable, future-proof business around your expertise. This is the Youpreneur Podcast. And here's your host, international business mentor and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Yes, welcome back to another episode of the show. And boy, is it a good one today. It starts out a little strange. Just stick with me here. It starts out a little strange, and you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. Uh, but let me tell you, man, this this episode is just full of fire. Uh, so myself and Nick Kuzmich uh, met originally a few years ago. We were um, invited to attend a peer-led mastermind, which uh, kind of went over a two-and-a-half, three-day period in Toronto in Canada. Uh, it's being led by Jason Gaynard of the Mastermind Talks fame. Um, I was in attendance. Nick was there. JJ Virgin was there. Stu McLaren was there. Uh, and a host of other great folks as well, um, all of which run or were involved with running large live events for their communities. And we spent two and a half days uh, and a whole bunch of extra time um, away from sort of the mastermind table, so to speak, at dinners and lunches and stuff like that, talking about what, you know, what the best practices were for selling and marketing and, and delivering live events for our communities. It was a really, really worthwhile trip for me. I'd only just actually moved back to the UK at the time and um, Jason invited me with like, you know, two weeks to, to spare, if that actually. Uh, and I hopped on a plane, went over there, and it was a great investment of my time and money to be there in that room with all these other smart folks. And we had a great time with each other. Nick and I stayed in touch. Uh, he is a big Bruce Lee fan, just as uh, I am as well. And we kind of connected on that. It's funny, isn't it, how these smaller little parts of our lives can sometimes be, uh, you know, a pretty big thing when you meet somebody uh, initially. Um, and if you don't know Nick and his work, he's known mostly for his work in the paid advertising space. However, today we're going to be talking about the lack of funnels in your marketing. And you've heard me talk about funnels and you heard lots of other people talk about marketing funnels when it comes to uh, attracting and converting people into our paid programs and our products and things like that. But actually, Nick has got an interesting take and it really actually pricked my ears up because I hadn't thought about it like this. And holy moly, the idea of non-funnel marketing is actually quite sincere. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with myself and Nick. And like I said, Starts out a bit strange, talking about Nick and his biohacking, but actually very interesting. Uh, but, but we soon get into the marketing stuff pretty quickly. Here we go. This is the Youpreneur FM podcast with Chris Ducker. So Nick, welcome to the show, man. Oh, Chris, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long, long time. So I'm just excited to to hang with you. Brother, here. it has been a long time since we chatted and even longer since we were hanging out with each other in person. I think the last time yeah, it was definitely Toronto and we were there with Jason Gaynard and the folks, yep. uh, private mastermind on uh, for folks who were running live events. What, what, what was that? What year was that? Was that like 2018, I, I think? I don't know, it, it, but it was, it was, you know, like 
COVID just threw a, a whole wrench into my timing. I don't, <laughs> I don't we remember go. life. We're, we're 90 seconds really in sure. and we're blaming COVID again, right? Yeah. 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 But no, I, but it, really it must have been 2018 ish. Yeah. yeah. I think it was late 18 or, or, or mid to late 18. I, it's funny though, because you talk about the whole COVID thing. Like I, I feel, I mean, we all know we kind of lost a couple of years in terms of like being with the people that we love being around, et cetera, et cetera. But I really feel like, I kind of feel like this was, and I'm not a massive Marvel movie fan, but this was like sure. the the glitch thing, the blip that they talk about. Yeah, in, yeah. In the, the, right. That's what I felt like we all went into like a blip for a couple of years, you know? And, and you know what? Like, uh, yeah, sure, it was rough years for people and, and some people really thrived and others didn't. Yeah. But, you know, we were just talking before before we hit record on, it was a beautiful experience for my family and I, because it it allowed us to reevaluate what was important. We actually mm -hmm. picked up and relocated our where we live right now. Um, and that was probably the best decision we've made in decades for ourselves and our kids. And so, yep. you know, I, I know a lot of people say, oh, COVID this, COVID that, but but hey, it was a great excuse to reconsider what was important. And it, it really shifted a lot of important things for us. So so yeah. I don't I don't look back with regret by any means. No, no, no. And you are looking forward, dude. I mean, you're doing a lot of cool stuff right now, hence the fact getting you onto the show. Uh, I mean, you are, I guess, other other listeners of the show would have heard your name and thought paid ads, Facebook, blah, 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 <laughs> marketing, sure. leads, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of like what you, that's kind of your bread and butter, so to speak, is what you're known yeah. for. But you've got a lot of stuff going on nowadays. Um, you've got your host, your hosting like psychedelic retreats for entrepreneurs, yes, we are. <laughs> which is a very interesting scenario. I think I don't think this is the episode to go down that rabbit hole, but I might actually fancy having you back to talk about that because that's a whole uh, different thing. I could thing. talk all day about that. Absolutely. I'm sure yeah. you will. <laughs> but then you've also got like, you know, you're 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 focused on sort of the whole kind of lead generation and marketing side of things. With an with kind of a slant on the whole marketing funnel, anti funnel yeah. kind of thing, which I think yeah. I want to dive into that in a second for sure. sure. But the one sure. thing that I am really interested in right now, and we don't want to go down too much of a of a rabbit hole, but like you are doing some crazy stuff to yourself in the name <laughs> of like I want to be like Tony Stark or whatever. Like this is. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, for you guys tuning in, if you're not following on on Nick's Instagram, you want to go ahead and do that. We'll link into the uh, into the show notes and whatnot. But the other day, I saw a post of you <laughs> having a stem cell needle inserted. By the way, he was virtually upside down in this photo, having this needle inserted through your navel cavity, uh, your, your nasal cavity, and yeah. like going in it's going into your brain like you're injecting stem cells into your brain yes i mean like yep. when does this happen when do you wake up have yourself a cup of coffee and think guess what i fancy doing today Let, let's put an eight inch let's put an eight inch needle up my nose into the cavity that it uh yeah hits the blood the the, the blood brain barrier i mean yeah do you know this is pretty crazy stuff when did all this stuff this whole biohacking thing when does it all start well, I got to be honest with you, and and I didn't think about it from this perspective until I met with with a doctor. This was probably like five years ago, okay. and I was sitting down with a functional medicine doctor, and I'd always been interested in my health. Like my dad passed away when I was nineteen years old. Um, he didn't live long enough to see me get married. He didn't live long enough to meet his grandchildren. He yeah. didn't live long enough to see 
Um, really what I wanted to do for him was to provide the life that he wanted to provide for me. And he didn't, he wasn't around for me, be, for me to be able to do that. Uh, but I remember walking into it. So I've always been into health from day one, alternative health, whatever could to help me kind of live long and, and prosperous. Uh, but I walked into a certain clinic of a functional medicine doctor and he looked at me and he said, okay, why are we meeting? And I half jokingly said, um, I want to be like Superman. Like I want to live forever and I want to live in the best way possible. And for the first time in my life, the doctor looked at me and rather than saying, oh, awesome, I'm, I'm here for you. Whatever we need to do, let's make it happen. He said, oh, um, tell me about that. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, um, that's a very unrealistic expectation. No one's going to live forever. And you know we do have our ups and downs. That sounds like you have some PTSD. And I was like, oh, uh -huh. what do you mean? And then we got into the whole story about my dad and he goes, um, I think your obsession for health might actually be stemming from a, 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 a place of not light, but dark of, of fear and of trauma and of all these things. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. This is, not, this so is anyway, not, not why I walked through the door today. No, this, this yeah. is absolutely not why I walked through the right. door. But the, the, the long and short of it is like, I worked through that myself and we kind of got healed up because I did recognize that there were some things I was holding on to and I had some unrealistic expectations. Um, so I believe in everything, in all situations, there's there's a, a light and a shadow, right? So the motivation for health is the light, the unrealistic expectations and going f far and beyond what's normal and, and all that, that's a shadow portion. And I feel like right. as we navigate through life, if we can work on our shadows and elevate the light, we're good. So I worked through that, but really this all stemmed years and years and years ago when I lost my father and I said, you know what? I want to be there for my children. I want to meet my grandchildren. I want to... I want to provide my family with the best situation they can have. I want to be the best husband I can be and so on and so forth. And so this put me on a path of just seeking out cutting edge things that can make me live my best. And this was like 10 years ago, I was meeting with doctors who were saying, Nick, this is, this is not mainstream, but if you want, we can kind of play in the world of peptides, for example. And so I was injecting myself with all sorts of peptides to make me bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, more longevity. And now 10 years, peptides are a normal thing. But it, I've always had this drive to a certain degree to say, like, how can I be the quote unquote best version of myself, both physically, mentally, and in, in all aspects, um, which has then kind of pushed me to do some, some things like going to a clinic and getting an eight inch needle stuck in my, my, my nose to, to put yeah. peptides. I mean, not peptides, the stem cells directly into my brain. So, I mean, so, yes. yeah, I mean, that's not, we can, you know, we can all do better. Right. I think from a health <laughs> perspective, but that I don't think kind of, uh, comes across anybody's brain, you know, or, or, or you know, thought process. Uh, except for you, Nick. Yeah. Uh, clearly, you're the well, only bloke well, that I know that will go and well, do that. Literally. So yeah. I'm doing all my research and study, and originally, okay. like stem cells have become a popular thing as of late, right? Of and I have some yeah. low, I have some low back issues that um, some neurosurgeons said your only fix is uh, uh, artificial disc replacement surgery. Uh, and that's a big surgery. It'll take me out for four Dude, months. That's um, what I, I had. I had. I had a, a elf. I had an L five S one spinal fusion back in 2012. So, okay. So, uh, fusion has been the most popular surgery for a long. And how, how do you feel by that, by the way? Like, how do you feel now after? The oh, fact? great. You, I mean, every, you know, obviously yeah. I mean, I lack a little bit of flexibility at the Mobility. very, very base yep. of my spine, Yeah, but much like you, I mean, I'm not going to the kind of extreme of getting needles slammed up my nose or anything like that. But I mean, you know, I, I work with a nutritionist. I work with a functional medicine doctor. I, you know, exercise regularly. I eat well. I 
don't consume a ton of um you know alcohol or sugars yeah. and all i you know right. i i'm i'm an, and remember you know i i'm 50 right so i became a dad for the fourth time when i was 45 mm, 44 right. 44 right. sorry 44 and so you know now i got a 6 year old girl who wants to do lots of who needs, stuff who needs and, dad to be at his and, best yeah right and i need i need the energy to be with her right along with the other thing yeah well. so you know yeah. i i i'm not perfect i i certainly could still do things better than but the fact of the matter is i know for a fact i am doing way more than most other 50 year olds that i know um and i feel like i'm winning because of that quite frankly but it's interesting yeah, like when you and i first met we found out and I don't know whether you remember this or not, but and you probably do because it's it's rare that we'll have any two two people from two completely different environments will have a similar uh, lifelong kind of type of hero in Bruce Lee. And yeah, like right. when I found out that you were a big Bruce Lee fan, and Huge. he's honestly been my lifelong hero for like since I was twelve. I saw another Dragon for the first time, and I was like, "It's all Chinese dudes kicking the crap out of." It everyone i i need a to get some of this yeah. in my life you know yeah. what i mean and so you know, i studied you know aikido and karate and wing chung and all this stuff over the years but like for me to meet someone from a completely different you know background and and way of life and everything and to have you talk about bruce lee and jkd and all that kind of stuff that was kind of cool that was cool that yeah. doesn't happen very often everybody knows no, bruce but not everybody sure. knows bruce you know what i mean yeah yeah, I you know I you know people ask when who knows I, it would have been an, an amazing experience to uh, to have met him. But part of what that did for me as well is you know years ago um, before I got really badly hurt on my back, you know I, I trained a lot of jujitsu. Um, yeah. And part and and part of that was because I was kind of getting bored in business. And what I mean by that is like I wasn't being challenged mentally. And I find like you can teach me how to play chess or some mind game or board game. And I just get really mm -hmm. bored easily. I've got ADD like most of us and we just have to move on. Um, but jujitsu was interesting because you're doing human chess with consequences, right? Yeah. Like you, you mess yeah. up, you lose your arm, you mess up, you black out. Someone's going to choke you. And so um, I decided to do jujitsu. And then a few months into that, I started getting really bored as well to saying like, I love training, but I love training with the purpose. And I said, the only way I could train with the purpose is if I started entering into competitions. And so like three months into training jujitsu, I started entering competitions and I started doing one a month. And the reason I did that was no other reason than to force me to like stay on my training, stay on my diet, have a purpose yeah. that every time I step foot on the mat to train, I'm there with intention and, 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 and uh, a purpose knowing that in three to four weeks, I'm going to compete against someone who's going to look at me in the eyes across the mat and say, I want to do to you what you want to do to me. And only one of us is going to come out a winner. Um, but that also came back a lot to kind of studying the people like Bruce Lee, for example, where you're just like, he's the top of his game. He understands certain things and, and it made him, you know, recognized and be a, a force to be reckoned with. And so yeah, I've always tried to model myself against people like that and do things that kind of push me. And I think the the other thing I will say about this, and I don't know where we're going with this conversation, but uh, we're just, just we're going aware. in in any direction we want to. It, Those it tuning to in are just going to go with, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a lot of it was just kind of knowing, like self awareness. It's like 
For yeah. me, I, I don't believe in motivation per se. I'm not a, I'm not greatly motivated every time I wake up in the morning, but I have great habits and I'm committed to certain outcomes. And mm-hmm. if I know that I have, I'm a committed to a certain outcome, then I'm going to instill the habits that are going to get me to that outcome. Because even when I was training, Juju, I like. I don't want to wake up. I'm not motivated to train, but I do it because I'm committed. Anyways, the self-awareness of that reality, the self-awareness of, hey, I want to be better with my health. Like certain things allow me to just kind of tailor the decisions and the habits I made to allow, you know, us to all rise. And and same thing for you. I love hearing your story saying, hey, I had I had my fourth child, you know, when I was 44. Now she's six and I need to be better for that person. So I'm going to make decisions that that help me get there. I think that self-awareness is something that a lot of people just don't have. And they just kind of go with the flow and get tossed by the waves and see, hey, whatever people do and let's just follow trends. And um, I think when people are more self-aware, they just get better things done and better commitments, which lead to better habits, which lead to better outcome. I couldn't agree more with you. The one the one thing that has come across to me already in this conversation is that with that, knowing that now a, a little bit further back into your background with the whole, I'm going to force myself to do this. Like I'm turning up, there are consequences. I'm in these, you know, these fights every month. Yeah, sure. They're in a controlled setting, but I could get hurt. I could hurt somebody else, you know, all this kind I, of stuff. And I did like, get very hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like uh, surely a lot of this mindset has transferred into your entrepreneurial career and what you do with your mm. clients. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. And, and I, uh, I didn't never thought about that in the past. I always like compartmentalize my life. Oh, there's my health and there's my sport and there's my fun mm-hmm. and there's my bliss mm-hmm. and there's my entrepreneur and there's my family. Um, and then I just realized like, I'm not for work-life balance. I'm for like work-life integration. Where totally. It's oh, like, now you're talking right? my language. Well, now you're talking it, my I, language. I, the whole work-life balance thing is so much Doesn't BS. make sense. Yeah. It yes, makes zero. Exactly. Oh my God. I found... Well, my long lost brother or something. This is like, I'm with you. Yeah. We need to hang out more clearly. (laughs) A a, a great, a great example of this was, so I guess it was three or so months ago um, here in Kelowna, where I live, Kelowna, British Columbia, we had the wildfires come through and it caused all of us to be evacuated for, for about 10 days. Scary situation. I remember driving away from a house, looking my wife in the eyes and saying, every material possession we own might be gone in the next 48 hours. And we had to just like come to terms with, are we okay with that? What does that mean? How do we respond, et cetera? Um, But one of the things we did was three or four of our families got together and we went to Whistler, British Columbia. Um, And first time at Whistler, it's beautiful. There's amazing things. And and I just got into mountain biking after moving out here. Um, So we're in Whistler and it's like a 45 minute mm, gondola ride up to the top of the peak and then like an hour plus on the way down. Um, but it was funny because like, I had my phone with me, obviously it's like 45 minutes up. So I could just sit there and twiddle my thumbs, but instead I was doing work on my cell phone on the way up. And as soon as you got to the top and put the phone away, I'm said, all right, now it's time to jam. And you party on the way down, riding your bike. And it was just a reminder that that to me is, is what life is about. It's, it's not compartmentalizing everything. It's just saying, Hey, my, my life and my, my friends and my, this and my health and my, all that, that's all just, it's, it's integrated into each other. And when you can kind of come to terms with the fact that it's about integration, not compartmentalizing, balancing it. Um, oh man, things just, things flow a lot more better. So is this where like, to go back to the the whole kind of health and the biohacking side of things and mm. like, other than, you know, the stem cell, you know, work and all that. So what, what are the things that you're doing in that regards that are really firing you up now? Like you, you can feel the effects of, of taking 
time on that side of things in the other areas of your life? In every area. Yeah. So I just established a new routine, a morning routine. I, I, I've been trying to hack a routine for, gosh, years until I found something that was perfect. Perfect for now. It always evolves and changes, right? <laughs> right. Um, but like, so so a couple of things that I do every single day that, that really help is first thing I, I wake up, um, oddly enough, like downing some salt water uh, changes, changes a little bit of the biochemistry of, of my, it sets everything in action. I start feeling better. So I sleep with salt water right beside my bed. Um, as soon as I wake up first thing in the morning, I wake up around five every morning, I drink the salt water. And immediately what I do is during the summer, I'll go outside and get light exposure. Um, in the winters, I can't do that. So I actually have an artificial sunlight stimulator where I just come down and let it into my eyes. Cause that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, I do a 90 minute work block right out of the gates. So unlike some people, especially these entrepreneurs who try to come up with morning routines, who do a million and one things before they start work for me, it's how can I like shrink down the time from the moment I wake to the moment I start working. And I recognize that me, I only can work 90 minute work blocks before I have to stop. Anything more than that, my brain stops working. So I do a 90 minute work block from 5.30 or six o'clock to 7.30. At 7.30, my kids wake up, it's time to get them ready for school, et cetera. Um, But at 7.30, I'll do a cold plunge every single morning. I thought that was all bogus for a while. uh, But I just recently did a couple for the first time ever in my life. And how'd you like it? Um, We were in Portugal. And we, okay. I was there with my roundtable members, which is my inner circle mastermind. Yeah. And there's one lady in in that uh, group, particularly her name is Jenny, who loves all this kind of stuff. And sure. so she was like, uh, you know, the first morning with cold plunge, seven o'clock tomorrow, Chris. And I was like, you're crazy. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And then she said it again, cold plunge. And I was like, you yeah. know what? Okay. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what well, she said to me, well, the expert, you're a good business mentor, but the expectations of seeing you by the pool for like, I think it was like 13 degrees or something first thing in the morning. It wasn't mad yeah. cold, but it was nowhere near yeah. nice and warm either. Sure. Um, yeah. She said, yeah, the expectation to see was so low that if you turn up, it'll just be a bonus. And so I showed up. And then yeah. the next day, everybody started checking out and they were all going, and I thought, you know what? It was kind of good yesterday. So I went in and, and sat in the pool for, for 15 minutes again. And I kind of liked it, but I'm not Amazing. sure how I would feel about doing it every single day. Like, in my like I'd have to get like a proper tank and you know, well, set you would it need up. a proper tank and and, yeah. and people yeah. charge ridiculous monies for these things. And of course, you'd want to bump down the temperature. So mine set at six degrees, um, which is I think <laughs> like 38 degrees. That's not Fahrenheit. a cold plunge, that's a freezing plunge. That's it's, it's, it's an ice bath, yeah. Yeah, but here's yeah. here's the interesting thing about it. So, are there health benefits? You, you you talk about like how, how do I feel the effects of it? On the one hand, like are there health benefits? Probably. Like there's some anecdotal evidence that cold plunge first thing in the morning wakes you up and does all this other thing. But it's I got to tell you the things real like reason- inflammation and stuff like that. I mean, it just has to in that in that regards. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but honestly, here's the reason, real reason why I do it, Chris, is because when I wake up and it's after my first 90 minute work block before I start my day, I get in there I, and I set a timer for four minutes at six degrees. It's bloody cold. You're shivering halfway through. Um, but the greatest benefit, Chris, is that quiets my inner bitch. Like when I wake (laughs) up in the morning and I have all these excuses of like, oh, I shouldn't do this or I don't want to do that. I'm not feeling this or whatever. I'm like, I've got no choice. I've got a habit. I don't want to do this. This morning when I woke up, I'm like, Jesus, can I just get away with not doing this today? Well, no, it's a habit. 
and I jump in and I hit the timer four minutes and I get out. And when you do that first thing in the morning, I realize that like anytime my inner dialogue or my inner critic comes up and starts bitching at me about anything, I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like I've got through this. I, I, I can get over that inner critic a lot easier, which is really beneficial for the rest of the day. So to me, the health benefits are like, bonus or side. I hope it's doing something, okay. but the mental fortitude. And that's a, the other reason why I keep it so cold. Um, Cause a friend of mine says, look, if you don't, if you're not screaming to get out of it, you're not getting the mental benefits. You might be getting the physical benefits, but you're not getting the mental benefits of it. And I said, you know what? Good point. I'm not going to be a little bitch and set it really high. Let's, let's set it colder than it needs to be. So I feel cold. Um, and I want to get out and I have to do, and it's a battle every single, you think it gets easier. It hell, it doesn't not for me anyways. Um, well, I've, but yeah, I've, great, I've great done, benefits too. yeah, I I've done cryotherapy chambers when I've been ah, yeah, in the United yeah. States, which I really love here. They're not as mainstream as they are in the United States. Um, so hard to see. Yeah. But the one thing I found with them and, and I mean, when I say I do them, I'm like, Every time in the US, I find out where the closest one is to my hotel. Uh, and and if I'm there a week, I'll be there three times in a week kind of thing. Amazing. You know? The one yeah. thing I notice very specifically when I'm traveling is I don't have jet lag. When I'm when I'm in a cryo interesting. Chamber, I don't have I don't have jet lag. It puts me to sleep. I don't know what it is. I'll try and get yeah. there the first day after I arrive if possible. And I think it's like a five minute burst or a Three, four minute burst yeah, or three something. Five minutes or, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, when you, I mean, it's bloody cold. It's freezing cold in that chamber, and they give you gloves and you know undergarments and things like that to <laughs> yeah, wear. It doesn't like, do much. It's still no, cold. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But no, I, I, yeah, I'm with you. Okay, cool. Um, dude, keep going on this stuff. I love geeking out over this stuff. So, um, let's shift gears though, because. Sure. The people who tune into the Youpreneur podcast, although they might find cold plunges somewhat interesting, they're here to learn how to build their business around their expertise. Sure, really, absolutely. More than now, look, I mean, you have been one of the, you know one of the big voices in very specifically paid Facebook advertising campaigns sure. and what you can do with Facebook ads to grow your business, et cetera, et cetera. And you've been a big voice for a long time in that regards, but. The one thing I want to kind of zoom in on here a little bit is mm. the work you're now doing in the whole kind of anti-funnel sort of focus. Sure. Like, yeah, you know, maybe it's not the best thing to do. Maybe we can do things in a slightly different way. Where did this come from? Because everywhere you turn online, it's funnel hacking this, funnel, funnel something, putting yeah. that, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it came from two things. It came from a need birthed out of my own business. So what I mean by that is, you know, we were running all sorts of funnels and I thought I, I hit the holy grail when I came up with what I used to call a GFO process and we taught people how to do that. And I, I thought it was the, the end all be all. And then I recognized, and it started with, again, self-awareness. And I started looking at myself and I said, when was the last time I opted in for any sort of funnel, a webinar or event or a summit or a challenge or a lead magnet or a free book offer? Um, and the answer was like, never. If I ever did, I always gave fake information and that was only just to see what was behind the wall. And then once I saw what was behind the wall, I didn't want to do it. Um, you know, the other day I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw this great ad, Chris. It was so good. The guy could, he wasn't perfectly speaking English, but he was had this great ad about, it was a video of, hey, there's a way to like hack your productivity by doing one external trigger, blah, blah, blah. And again, I'm not doing the ad justice, but it was brilliant. And I'm looking at this and I'm studying it. And so I made a decision in my mind before the 30 second ad was done. 
that if what this guy is selling is $2,000 or less, I will buy it. No questions asked. Let's just go. So I clicked on the button, hoping that he's going to say, hey, this is what it is. And it's going to cost 600 bucks or whatever. I'm like, great. I'm in. You know what it had instead? An invitation to a webinar. And I said, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm out and I'll never buy from you ever again. Because here's what I came to understand, right? Well, let's first actually just start with the analogy or the metaphor of the funnel. The, the, the thing that was presented to us somewhere by someone down the line was this idea that you have this funnel and you drop leads in on the top. And what the funnel's job is to sort and sift and bring out all your best prospects on the bottom who are the buyers. Now, I don't know the last time you used a funnel, Chris. I've never used one until I bought one. And if you're, I know people are not watching by video, they're listening by audio, but I am holding a funnel in my hand. I have these all over my desk um, to prove points all the time. But I had this funnel, I bought it, and I walked over to my hot tub when my kids were in it, and I scooped up a, a cup of water in my in my mug, and I, I poured it in the funnel. Guess how much of the water that I put in the top of the funnel came out the bottom? Every single hundred percent. Right. That's exactly exactly. That's not what funnels are supposed to do, apparently. Apparently, they're supposed to sift and sort and only make your best come out the end. The other thing I realized is that when I actually scooped up that water, if I just turned the cup upside down, the water came out quickly. The moment I put it in the funnel, it actually slowed down okay. the process of the Okay. That's another thing that's a little bit weird because if I'm prospecting or doing anything, I don't want my funnel to slow down a transactional decision. I want it to actually speed up. And so here's what I come to know about funnels and why I think funnels suck was for three reasons. Number one, they slow down the process rather than speed it up. Because think about it. You put a gate in front of it and somebody and say, give your name and email. Oh, and then watch a webinar. Oh, and then go to this and then go to that. And then finally, I'll make an offer to you. So that's one thing. Second thing, they're super complex, right? So with every additional step we add to a buying journey or a buying process, the biggest opportunity cost there is what I call lead leakage. So with every additional step, you have other people who are just going to fall off this entire process until you get to the end. And if you think of a traditional webinar funnel... It's true. Like you get X number of registrants, but only X number of people show up. Out of all the people who show up, only X number of people stay to the pitch. Of yeah. all the people who stay to the pitch, X yeah. number of people are going to book the call. And of all the people who book the call, X number of people are going to show up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you start with this big thing up here, and only a few people come out the other end. There's a lot of lead leakage. And the third part, I think the most important, is what I call the funnel attracts the wrong prospect. And here's what I mean. I've categorized every prospect into two categories. One is what I will call an information seeker. And the other is what I would call a solution seeker. And an information seeker is just that. Someone who's perpetually looking for more information. And you can be distinguished by recognizing that they have more time than they do money. They're searching for information that they can deploy themselves. And they're likely asking the question, how can I help myself versus who can help me fall, you know, uh, overcome this problem? And so their behavior is jumping from one funnel to the next to the next. And they're not necessarily looking to buy. They're looking to just gather and hoard information so that they could deploy it themselves. Now, if our conversion game is strong enough, we might convert one to 3% of them and then we celebrate. Woohoo, we got 3% of the people to buy. When I look at 3%, I said, I think we're just targeting the wrong people. Because on the other hand, the solution seeker is not asking, how can I help myself? They're asking, who can help me? That person is not jumping from funnel to funnel because they know what funnels are. They look at an opt-in page and they're like, no, thank you. They're looking to hire and pay premium dollar 
for the right person who will either coach or do the thing for them Mm -hmm. and get them all the way through to the end. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. They're the ones who value time more than money. And a funnel generally says, I want your time. And they're like, I won't give you my time, but I will give you my money if you could provide a solution. So once I realized that, I said, huh, there's solution seekers and information seekers. I recognize that 99.9% of the funnels out there are designed for the information seeker. Now, is that bad? No. Yes, information seekers end up converting. And yes, people built large businesses around information seekers. But my, my stance is, well, what about the solution seeker who's willing to take an action way faster, who will convert way faster, um, someone who's not going to give you customer service headaches because they know what they want, they know how to get there. There's no price objections. What about those people? Because those people are me. And the moment I realized that, I started architecting processes that would be geared towards people like me, people who won't mm. opt into something, okay. people who don't want to learn how to information, people who just say, hey, uh, you've got a problem. I've got a solution. Why don't we see if there's a fit? And let me mitigate the risk for you to ensure that this is a good decision for you. So the here's a question then. That, so so yeah. like, how, how do you get those people into your world? then yes because i mean when we look at like the traditional funnel approach you will either run ads or you'll create organic content and people come to your website Mm -hmm. they'll opt in and trip 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 right yeah yeah what you're saying is to help with consequences quote bruce here right you know to help with consequences to help with the funnel i'm going to push out the one side and i'm just going to get them straight in and like how do you even a find those people those solution yeah. seekers, and then B, yes. how are you converting them if you're not providing them love that. different layers to go through? Yeah, I love that. So the, the first thing is to believe that they actually exist, right? Because sure. some people are like, they don't actually exist. Because one of the most fundamental myths and lies out there is that a lead needs to be nurtured before they purchase, which is not true. Now, some do, don't get me wrong, but not everyone needs to be nurtured before they purchase. So if you just recognize, and if when, the more I talk about this, more people recognize that, yeah, there are people who came into my world who didn't go through my funnel, but looked me up on Instagram, sent me a direct message, and we talked on the phone. And just like that, they enrolled in my $15,000, $25,000 thing. Like people recognize that to be true. Now, once cool. you do, then you have to recognize that those people speak a different language, not Chinese and English. But when I say different languages, the language to the information seeker is always around this frame of how to, right? Let me show you how to something. And that's why we have all these opt-ins. Let me show you how to do this, how to do that, how to do this, opt-in, and I'll teach you how to do it. The the solution seeker is not looking for how-to information. They're basically saying, I've got a problem. Can you solve it in the fastest way possible? So we got to understand that there's a slight nuance in in the languaging when we're trying to reach these people. Now, where do they exist? They exist everywhere the information seeker exists. They're they're available on paid ads. They're available on organic. They're available on all that. Now, all I would say that the difference between a funnel and a non-funnel to me is two things. One, do you gate your content with an opt-in? That would be a funnel. And secondly, um, how many steps are in the process before you get them to take the final action? So in my world, we sell high ticket. And the only way to enroll someone via high ticket, for the most part, is some sort of a a sales call, right? We call them discovery calls, enrollment calls, whatever. But it's generally a sales call, especially at scale. So for me, the only difference then is rather than getting them to opt into something and putting a bunch of steps in the way before they can have that sales conversation, we go from exposure to conversation invite in one foul swept. 
And so the idea is, hey, rather than opting into something and getting all this information that we got to nurture you and whatever, I'll just say we have a short, generally four to six minute video that stands on a non-gated landing page that basically proves authority, proves credibility, understands that we recognize our, our prospect's problem and presents a risk mitigated solution. And then basically says, and here's the key part, let's get on a call to discuss if this is a good fit for you. So we're not disguising the call to say it's a discovery call or a consulting call. And what we have generally found is when you can speak the language of the solution seeker and present an opportunity like that, um, my cost per call in my world, they went from six to $800 a call down to $180 a call. The conversion went up drastically because now I'm only speaking to people who are serious about getting a result. And these people end up actually being our best ambassadors because they get the result. They tell all their friends, they're they're not customer service headaches to us. We were able to, in my case, shut down. And I'm not suggesting everybody do this, but we were literally able to shut down all of our funnels, our traditional funnels, because the volume of leads coming in from, from this process was so much higher. So I know I like briefly went through that, but the idea is r- remove all the steps, speak a different language to the solution seeker, remove all the the restrictive steps in order for them to get that final result. And whatever that final result you wanted them to do, i.e. schedule a call, just just offer that and don't go through all the steps in order to get there, if that makes sense. So I know that when people listen to this and do that, that's just so good. So I, and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, we sell high ticket. Of course, Uh, We, we also sell low ticket and mid ticket as well yes um and when i look at the lower and the mid tickets like the high ticket stuff is obvious you got a problem this is a great solution for you let's pop on a call and see whether it's a good fit we've been doing that since day one for our high ticket mastermind stuff but the low to medium sized stuff Mm -hmm. we're still in those funnels we're still there with those funnels and some of them work better than others. Um, but now you've got me thinking a little bit more about, well, okay, maybe there's solution seekers in those earlier on audiences as well. And we don't have to kind of just follow suit. So you got me thinking about it a bit. Well, I know there's going to be a whole and, bunch of, go on, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say like for low to medium ticket funnels have a place. I'm not, and again, please, I hope people are not hearing this saying, oh, I got to throw out all my funnels. No, no, no. For I, high I, ticket, yeah, 100%. Yeah, for for high ticket, 100% fast track. But what we can learn as information entrepreneurs is we could take a page out of the direct-to-consumer world, right? So whether that's Apple or whether that's a friend of mine has a company called Lomi that sells these things that you put on your, your, your kitchen counter that composts you know, all your food leftovers, it's a $600 ticket item. And none of the direct-consumer world generally has funnels per se. Because they understand that if they market well and they speak a different language to their ideal consumer, that the person is going to land on that page and whether they got there from user-generated content, whether they got there from a case. I'll give you another one, actually. One great example. So I was on YouTube and I, I don't know what I was watching, but I saw this little thing in the corner that said, why working out is the worst thing you could do. And of course that, that attracted me. Cause I'm like, wait a second. I work out six days a week. What are you, who's <laughs> what's this guy talking about? Right. And what he was actually saying, he was making an argument for how resistance band training 
is oftentimes more effective than barbell or free wet based training because we are stronger at the extension portions of all of our lifts than we are at the beginning portions of it. And so if we're using the same weight at the beginning and the end, the end is not getting as challenged as the beginning, but when you're using resistance bands, now all of a sudden, the further you push on the band, the harder it gets. So now you're getting a better workout all the way through. Anyways, I don't know if that's true, but he made a great argument, right? But the point is I clicked on the thing and it was a six minute video, of him talking to somebody and demonstrating a resistance band workout. And he was selling a thousand dollar resistance band workout thing. Guess what I did, Chris? I bought you, it. You bought one. <laughs> yeah, I did. Right. I, I didn't need a funnel. I didn't need to jump in. I didn't need to be like, I literally, it was user generated content. It was credibility and authority that spoke to the thing. I knew that I, I'm the ideal prospect for this. I love working out. I love figuring out better ways to work out. I saw the thing. It was about a six minute video that explained his theory. And I'm like, you know what? I'm in. And I think the reality that we just have to realize is there are people like me and you everywhere. And sometimes whether it's high ticket, medium ticket, or low ticket, our funnel is actually repelling those people because the other part of the reality is those people now understand marketing, right? If they see no. an opt-in page, they know exactly what that is. If they see a webinar, they know it's not really a teaching-based webinar. They know that there's going to be a pitch done at the end of the webinar. And so rather than all that hoopla, just like that ad that I saw on Instagram where I was prepared to buy if he just didn't put a webinar in front of me, there are other people like me and us who are out there. And we could think about selling our things without necessarily having to nurture or warm people up, or at least not everybody. Some people need that, but not everybody does. And I think we're leaving opportunity on the table by repelling those people who will just never opt in to a traditional funnel. Yeah, I get it hundred percent. So where does the where, where does the good old fashioned webinar stand in 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 this scenario? I mean, we think webinar, masterclass, live yeah. virtual event, like this. These, these aren't going to be disappearing anytime soon. No, not at all. And no. I'm assuming that I mean, like, do you still run webinars yourself? So, so here's the thing. So, like I said, right now, all of our paid acquisition channels, because we only sell high ticket, so we don't sell medium or low ticket, because we only sell high ticket, we run what I call our fast track process, which is that funnel free process to get people on the phone. Okay. Now, here's where I do use webinars for myself. Um, every time someone lands on our landing page, they maybe fill out an application and don't book a call, or they fill out an application, book a call and don't show up, or fill out an application, book a call, show up, but don't close. Right. So there's three different categories of people. Yep. What I do once a month, and this is actually a great hack. And I don't know how I came across this, but it works great. Once a month, we'll send out a text message and an email to all of those leads. So everyone who's filled out an application, didn't book a call, filled out an application, booked a call, uh, didn't show up, filled out an application, booked a call, showed up, but didn't buy. We send a text message that basically says, Hey, everyone, I'm going to do a live. And here's the thing I don't call them webinars. I said, We're going to do a live interactive workshop on Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And it's going to be a, an opportunity for me to coach you directly in your business. So just come show it up. I'll teach you a bunch of key frameworks and then I'll coach you through your process. And then at the end of that process, if, uh, if you need help implementing it, we'll give you an offer to do that. Otherwise, just take the information and run with it. Right. And every month, I'll do one of these. And one of these gets filled with 30, 40, 50, 60 people, all the people who kind of like went through that process. Yep. Um, and then I make an offer and they book a call at the end of that. Not everybody, but everyone, you know, the people who want to book a call at the end of that. And we close some more of those folks. So to me, I think webinars are great conversion tools or conversion events, but maybe not the great lead generation event. So I just move them middle of funnel, if you will. 
Um, yep. And I use them to, I call it the sweep up method. It's for everybody who didn't benefit like from that. my main fast track method. I sweep them up using webinars, masterclasses, workshops, and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, and you know, from your perspective, that call is, it's going to be on your schedule every month. You know, when that's taking place, your team yep. knows, you know, up to, I don't know, I guess 72 hours before the event. Hey, we're going to do this. You know, we'll sweep them all up, get them into that one call. Yep. And see yeah. whether we can set up some more calls, et cetera, et cetera, on the back of it. So, uh, right. so okay, this is good stuff. We could go all day on it, and but I'm mm -hmm. obviously aware of time and all that sort of good stuff as well. So, where does this take, or, or, or really, where does this land then for the folks that are out there that are probably tuning in right now? A certain number of them, who mm -hmm. you know, they've they've got a certain person, a certain amount of personal brand built already. They're already starting to monetize some of their expertise, certain offers, whatever, a course, a program, you know, whatever it is. Sure. If if they're not at the point where they're going uh, towards the high end side of, of, you know, coaches and programs and things like that, and they are yeah. lower end and they're happy to stay where they're at, lower end, yeah. um, at that point, it becomes a volume play, right? Like they've got to get more sales in order to make more money rather than working with less people and charging more. What advice would you give folks if they did want to kind of carry on being at where they're at, but wanted to kind of increase those numbers from a sales standpoint? Yeah. I think Jay Abraham a long time ago said it best and say, there's three ways to increase your revenue. One is to get more customers. One is to get the same customer buying more. And three is to get the same customers buying more frequently. Right? So if, 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 I mean, <clears throat> If I had it my way and people were coaching, uh, paying me to coach them through that, I would always suggest someone consider saying, hey, if you got a course, it's very easy to turn that into an accountability program where you can add an, an extra zero to the price tag. Um, the acquisition cost is the same. The acquisition model is the same. It still takes all the same at the time, but you can generate more income. But if people really push back on that and say, no, Nick, uh, fine. I would then say, recognize that if you're going to be running paid ads, and I'm a paid ads guy, organic is a little bit different, but if you're going to be running paid ads, recognize that your cost per acquisition can be anywhere from like 50 bucks to 300 bucks. So depending mm -hmm. on what you're selling, you got to be wary of that first initial number. So I'm all about saying, A, how do we increase the value of a transaction amidst the transaction? So some people call this order bumps and upsells. It's how can you increase the value of a transaction that if someone buys your $300 course, how do you turn that $300 into $500 instantly? That would be the oh. first thing that I would tell people to think about, order bumps and upsells. Um, then be, beyond that, then we're thinking, what can we do and institute in the business that allows us to create more transactions? So we could these could be splinter courses, they could be bonuses, these could be advanced levels. So if you're selling a 101, you can sell a 201. How can we sell more as people progress through our world? So if they finish course one, do we have a course two? And yep. I think some people might call this the flywheel method is making sure that people never run out of you. Yes, and a lot 100%. of people do that. I, I have one course and once they're done, they're like, well, thanks, Chris. I love you and you're amazing, but you've got nothing else to sell me. So I got to go over there now. That's right. So considering a flywheel will help that. The third thing is, can you install something that creates MRR, monthly recurring revenue? Um, for those in the low ticket space, that could be a membership. It could be a subscription. It could be something like that. But again, the idea is how can you create one transaction that then automatically leads to multiple 
So instead of saying you buy once and that's the end of it, what if you buy once, but now you're part of a Facebook group or an accountability thing or a, a call that happens, or you get special content that goes out to you once a week or once a month for an, you know a, a monthly fee. That's where I would generally tell people to consider is how do you A, increase the average order value? And then secondly, how do you increase the average lifetime value? Because if we're just one and done products, especially with the cost rising of how to acquire new customers now, it won't be long before things get really, really difficult to profit from. Yeah. But if you have a suite of products and you understand how to increase the lifetime value, then you could probably get away with selling low ticket and still having an extremely great business. Yeah. Amen to that. 100%. Dude, uh, so good. We could spend another hour easy, but I got a beautiful dinner brewing. I can smell it from Waiting here. for you. And you're 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 in the middle I'm of your workday over there as well. So <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time. We're going to link to Nick's site and everything else got going on his book, all that good stuff in the show notes. Uh, you guys, we'll see you again next week for another episode of the show. Nick, thank you one more time, dude. Chris, it was uh, such a great pleasure catching up, but I can't wait to do it again. You know it. All right, guys, take good care. We'll see you again next week for another episode of the show. Bye for now. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode. I really appreciate it sincerely. You know, if you are interested in potentially working with me to be able to build your business in a smart, savvy manner that really does truly set you up for future-proofing yourself and obviously building a profitable business, I'd love to hear from you. So send me a direct message on Instagram at Chris Ducker with the word podcast and I'll know exactly where you've come from. And that for me is more important than anything else because if I don't know where you're coming from, I don't know how I'm going to be able to help you get to where you want to be. Thanks very much again for tuning in. I appreciate you. We'll see you again soon.